A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Noise, the podcast series from Peer Week. I'm Frankie Oliver, your host and founder of New Society. And today I'm joined by Peer Week's Editor-in-Chief, Danny Rogers. Hi, Danny. Hi, Frankie. And our very special guests, Jen Jamie, Director of Communications and Public Affairs for UK and Ireland at Google, who was formerly Managing Director at Blue Rubicon and then Teneo, where she worked for nearly 15 years. Hi, Jen. Thanks for joining us. Hi, nice to be here. And Alex Dory, VP, Corporate Affairs and Sustainability at OVO, who is just eight months into her newish role, having previously led external communications roles for uh, Virgin Media O2, and also senior comms roles at both eBay and Sainsbury's. And before that, um, Alex was also chief of staff at the conservative campaign HQ, where she worked with David Cameron when he was PM. So welcome, Alex. That was a definitely a biog there, wasn't it? <laughs> Thank you. It was embarrassingly long. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. So on today's show, given in-house communications chiefs are becoming more senior and more pivotal in big businesses' uh, success, we wanted to ask two of the industry's very best communications leaders in two of the country's biggest and most interesting companies, how their roles are changing and what they really want from their PR agencies, something I'm sure many of our agency listeners will be very keen to tune into. So first to you, Jen, it would be great to understand if and how you feel your role has evolved over the last few years and also what agency setup you have and why. Yeah, sure. Um, So I think the first uh, sort of thing I've noticed about how my role has changed is probably true to our industry as a whole, um, and that is that the voice of the kind of communications director or corporate affairs director around the leadership table has become increasingly influential um, and important and a real kind of um, key element in terms of making decisions. And I've seen that during my time at Google, and I think that's probably true of the industry as a whole. Um, 
And then uh, I guess another way I've seen my role change is probably quite specific to Google. Um, I joined about four years ago. I think we were probably the brand had been through a, a, a lovely period of kind of tech love and then tech lash. And I think we were probably coming out the other side of that. And so it's been really interesting actually coming out of that tech lash period, although obviously we're still under a lot of scrutiny, but, you know, really engaging with some of those big questions, but really importantly, um, kind of telling our story about about what contribution we make and kind of what our purpose is and why, and why we're here. So I would say that's that's how I see my role having changed both from a kind of broader industry perspective and a sort of specific Google perspective. In terms of our agency setup, we have one core agency who works with us, um, and that is Ogilvy. And is that across corporate, consumer, sustainability, all, all disciplines effectively? It, it is effectively um, across our kind of all our comms disciplines. And I guess for a brand like Google, part of that is because the distinction between something that's corporate and something that is consumer is, is I would say, an increasingly false distinction. Um, when you look at something like the AI debate, that's obviously incredibly topical right now and on the front pages every day. Is that a corporate debate? Is that a consumer debate? I think it affects policymakers as much as it affects the general public. And I think therefore engaging really widely and doing that in a kind of joined up way is really important. And actually having an agency who can have that breadth um, is is really important to us. I think the other reason for us to have one kind of core agency is that industry is moving at incredible speed and there's a lot of complexity and, you know, an awful lot going on. And so actually our ability to sort of say, you know, here's something for you to deliver in six months time or nine months time or a year's time and get a, you know, a, a bunch of different agencies around it. That's I would say harder. I think that is probably quite specific to some kind of fast moving industries. Um, and then we have some specialists as well for really specific jobs. Um, so for instance, um, YouTube has a need to specifically engage with the music industry. That's a really specific audience. And so actually we need people who are deeply, deeply, um, kind of embedded within the music industry. Um, and so we use, um, a, a quite a small boutique agency called childhood PR for that. Um, and then on the B2B side, we have a specific agency as well called CC Group. And then we have some measurements, agencies and media agencies and other things like that as well. So, Alex, I know that you've only been eight months into your new role. It's probably worth looking you know, at, at where you are in your new role and possibly um, of your previous roles. How do you feel that your, your role is, is really evolving over the last couple of years, would you say? I would completely agree with Jen. I think we're standing on the shoulders of people who have established corporate affairs roles on leadership teams now in the UK. And I'm hugely grateful to those people because I'm sure that wasn't an easy fight, but I genuinely do believe in the value of having corporate affairs around the table as the conscience of the business. I think one of the reasons that agencies are so important to us in corporate affairs is even though we are sitting around the table now, we might not have the internal workforce that, say, a partner organization like marketing might have. Mm. So we rely on the expertise that people have externally. We rely on the arms and legs, the eyes and ears outside of the business in a way that perhaps the marketing organizations might not because they might have that workforce established in-house already. But it keeps us lean. 
and it keeps us nimble. And I also think that's really important for corporate affairs. And it also keeps us honest, um, having people outside of the business as our counsel. If you build a really good relationship, a trusting relationship with your agency, and they can speak truth to power, for want of a better expression, tell you when you're absolutely right, but also tell you when you're absolutely wrong, then that's a really powerful thing. Um, and yes, you're right. I'm still fairly new in role um, and my position was new on the leadership team. So again, I feel very fortunate that corporate affairs is now on the leadership team at Ovo, but it was also a really awesome opportunity for me coming in and being able to shape that organization in the way that I wanted to, based on the things that I'd learned from people I'd worked for and worked with in the past, and also based on the amazing scope of agencies we have externally right now. So at Ovo, we have a bit of a mix. So we have fairly new agency, Strand Partners, doing our corporate communication. So that was set up by a couple of guys, um, Nick and Sam, who left Portland. So they've established a practice of corporate communications, but also public affairs and polling. So we have- and still quite boutique. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, still growing. I think we're probably one of their biggest clients. Um, and they have an in-house polling operation, which is hugely useful because I can take that to the leadership team on Monday mornings and say, not only can I understand what's going on in the media landscape, but we have the finger on the pulse of what's happening in public opinion as well. We then sitting alongside Strand to have the Romans who do our consumer PR. So that's much more like fast That's quite a recent focused. win, isn't it? Um, yes. So the yeah. Romans had been doing more brand-based PR for us, but I brought them on to do consumer PR as well. And they're doing a great job. Um, I think some of the work that they do is really scrappy, really forward thinking. Um, we also have Flint doing our public affairs um, and they've been invaluable through the energy crisis because they make excellent hires. So if a lot of people coming out of Bayes or Desnes, it's now called, um, who are going straight into Flint with the right contracts and the right influences to help us to steer our way through the policy space in quite a complicated area of policy. So Alex, you tend to go for specialists. Have you deliberately avoided big networked agencies and generalists? The way that we are structured at OVO at the moment really suits having a patchwork network of specialists. Um, and I also really value those agencies working together. Um, I'm absolutely not against broad brush, um, bigger agencies. And I think the thing that Jen and I are probably saying in unison is that you have to build a trusting relationship. So if you can invest, for example, as you have with Ogilvy in a trusted long-term relationship, that's probably just as beneficial as the approach that I've chosen. But I'm not completely convinced convinced that one is better than the other, just circumstantial. Okay, Jen. So you have got a big networked agency in Ogilvy. Again, is that a deliberate choice or have you stayed away from the more boutique specialist sort of agencies? Yeah, it's definitely a, a deliberate choice. Um, when I joined, we had much more agencies on who were working for us and we were getting inefficiencies in terms of administration costs and all of those duplications that some agencies were just naturally doing. And the thing that we really struggled with as well was just institutional knowledge. So trying actually to bring all those agencies together and share knowledge or share, you know, we are a business that works at incredible pace. So the potential of us conflicting with ourselves is quite high, embarrassingly. Um, and so actually, we do actually need an agency who's like, no, don't do both of those things on the same day, because that's not really going to work. And th that sort of wasn't really that wasn't really happening so effectively. So I think it's, again, quite a specific thing to do with 
the industry I work with and the pace that we work work at, where actually if you have a lot of agencies, it's just very, very hard to kind of coordinate that. Are you a very procurement-led organisation? Do you have to procure your uh, marketing services quite carefully? Yeah, I mean, we always do a kind of due diligence and we do a kind of really thorough pitching process. Um, And we have really good procurement partners but ultimate decision-making is still with the function, if you see what I mean. Now, I ask because a lot of agencies do complain about procurement and having to jump through various hoops. Is that something that OVO does particularly? I'm going to give a big shout out to our procurement team right now because they are the <laughs> They fa- don't get it very often, They do are they? <laughs> the fastest contract clearers in the West. It's been a real breath of fresh air. Um, moving to an organization where that is the case because it's a huge relief for suppliers. As Jen says, once you've selected who you want, procurement needs to be your partner to get you there. And too often, it can feel like a massive barrier. The payment terms are too long. It's a real pain. But particularly if you're starting something fresh and you've not got much money in the coffers, you need that regular income. So I am very grateful to our procurement partners at OVO. And the one thing I would also add is that sustainability is becoming a much more important part of our procurement process now. And we mean it. So we're going to be looking into your green credentials as an organization before we decide to make the hire. Yeah, of course, there's procurement based on cost, the classic. There's also procurement based on values judgment on organizations. And there it can add value, I guess. Yeah, and I would add on that. I totally agree with that point. I think actually, as teams, we're ambitious to drive change within the industry as well as to bring on board the kind of um, best support and advice. So things like DEI as well, and actually how you know we can drive change and diversity in, in the industry through procurement processes and through really understanding how our agencies engage with you know things like DEI. I think it's really important. DEI has been quite strong, hasn't it? I think over the last couple of years in terms of growing through the supply chain, in terms of, you know, ensuring that's part of the procurement process. It's great to hear that sustainability for you is definitely, one would hope with OVO is now very much, much on the agenda. So it's, it's great to hear that that's, that's coming through. What are you really looking for from a skills perspective? I don't know if it's a skills thing. So forgive me if I'm not answering your question um, fully. But one of the things that I think is really interesting that agencies can bring to us Um, and this is going to sound ironic given that we're kind of a real innovative tech brand, is actually really understanding innovation in comms. Like I really rely on Ogilvy and our agency partners to say, here's where the industry is going. Here's the things you need to think about. Here are the latest integrated campaigning techniques. Here are the channels you ought to be using that you're not. Here are the kind of new ways of gathering audience insights on data and metric and things that will help your business make decisions. So I, you know, when I look at agency partners, I kind of want them to keep us on our toes a bit. Um, and and really are you creating saying, space for that in a way, or is it naturally happening organically through the process of working together that you're learning as, as you go, really? Yeah, so we do it kind of formally where we ask for those kind of insights, but also I think it happens naturally um, as well as we go and as part of the kind of ongoing relationship. But I, I think it's really important because otherwise I think you can imagine, you know, I could get to the point where I imagine how Google does comms is just the way comms is done. And I think agencies keep you honest in that way. Yeah, Alex, would you would you agree that that's you know staying a step ahead of innovation is is it, I'm sure it probably is very critical to you. I I would completely agree. I have 
two points on that. I think first to lead off from what Jen was saying, exactly. I need people who are native on platforms that even I might not use myself. So we were doing an event today and we launched it in a fairly traditional way, op-ed in the time, speech from the CEO, 200 people in a room. But last week we launched a campaign where we went straight to Instagram. We're just using influencers. We're getting to people where they are native on that platform. But in order to find the right people to access those customers, I need the intel from people who are native on that platform to get me there. Um, And the second thing I would say is a good old fashioned copywriting is worth its weight in gold. And it shouldn't be exclusive to copywriting specific agencies. If you are a good writer, we're always going to need you. So whether it's speeches or press releases or articles, copy is so key. And if you can capture the voice of the organization, you're going to be onto a winner. Over your, I guess, one or two decades in this business, has have writing skills improved or got worse on the agency side? That's a really good question. I think because the mediums have diversified, you're not always able to get your long form copyright straight away because we're so used to writing so quickly now. Two word emails, 20 word text messages, like the world has changed, but long form remains an art. So you've got to keep hold of those people who can do that. They tend to be young people or old people to that of interest. I think it's age agnostic. I think it's more about the type of mind you have. If you have a creative written mindset, then you've got it and you can nail that voice. People who are good imitators, people who can listen and then understand is a real skill. And I always really appreciate it. I think agencies have struggled to to ensure that there's really good writing skills inside some teams. I think because the, the writing skills are necessarily the project management skills and the media relations skills, they don't all naturally sit always in one person and I'm looking at you Jen you've worked in an agency as well and I think I think I've probably heard more clients complain about writing skills than I have anything else probably over the last 25 years yeah and I, I like I would say this obviously because I come from a tech uh, company but I also think that's going to change in the next two decades is that because chat GPT is going to write the press releases <laughs> Obviously, Google's barred. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's true. Like generative AI is going to be completely change how copywriters can get to great copy more quickly. I don't think it's ever going to do the job for you, but actually, to give you the kind of structure or you know, kind of creative inspiration, I think it's going to really change. I think it's really exciting. As a, as a journalist, can I ask another question about writing for you both? Do you feel the best um, agency writers tend to be ex-journalists or not necessarily? It's funny you say that because it's where my mind goes first. So if I want to hire a copywriter, that's exactly where I will go. But maybe that's an unfair assessment. I don't know. What do you think? I I honestly don't know. I think there's probably fewer ex-journalists. I'd say there's a smaller percentage of ex-journalists in PR agencies now than there were at one point. It used to be that most PR agencies were staffed largely by ex-journalists. I sense that as the industry has grown up and matured, there's probably a smaller percentage. And I wonder what effect that's having on writing ability. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I, I would go naturally to journalists or not journalists. I think, um, you know, it's a bit, bit like what Alex said about tone of voice and getting the tone of voice of the organization right. You just like there are some people who just know how to write like Google and sound like we would sound. So, you know, sometimes it's interesting. We'll get a new person on our 
team at an agency and I'll get some something written and it's really formal. And I thought, oh gosh, you know, you don't know Google yet. Like we wouldn't, like we don't, it's, that's not really how we tend to write things. Um, so I think it's just people who are curious and can listen and understand and get to know the tone of voice. Sure. Let's move on to um, pitching, agency pitching, uh, which presumably you both have pitches from agencies or you have in the past. Alex, what advice would you give to any agency that was pitching for your work? It's a really good question. And I would set out to all the agencies listening to this that we know hand on heart what an enormous amount of work goes into this process. And I, for one, really, really appreciate the effort that goes in. I also really enjoy pitching because it's great to see the ideas up front. You know, the ideas that people have of your organization before they've started working for you really. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Interesting. And you're sort of not harnessed by my view and my brief to you. You come in and you're fresh as your first pitch. And some of those ideas are the ones that carry through all the way through to execution. But if you're pitching for my business, what I would encourage you to do is to get as close to us as possible before. It's not cheating. Find out how we work, find out what we want. When you when you come into a room with somebody who has really done their research and gone the extra mile to understand what it is that you need, it stands out a mile. It really does. And those are the pictures that always win. These people have thought about it in great detail and they've been a bit cheeky and asked to see some of the exam questions in advance. And I don't mind that. It's interesting because we, at the last um, podcast that we did, we had uh, a number of agency owners in. I think it's been increasingly hard over the last couple of years in the sort of Zoom culture to get close to clients, especially during that pitch process. And sometimes actually procurement can, you know, bring the gates down and, and make it quite hard. What would you, sounds like be cheeky is a good thing from your perspective. Is there any other adv- advice? You I know give? I'm going to get in trouble. Now, <laughs> You're going to get a lot of agencies being cheeky possibly. But. <laughs> but I think it's worth not, I mean, I'm sure we'll come on to talk about this. How do you select agencies for your pitch? Are you going to get another agency involved to ha- help you find the agencies for the pitch? Or are you going to be reliant on seeing great work out there and approaching those people? Be upfront about it. If you're proud about your business, come and tell me why it would be such a good idea for us to work together, but really have thought and understood about my business and what I need before you do that. So picking up on that, I mean, I've seen, I've been part of a number of pitches over, over the last few years. There is often a situation, especially from a kind of creative perspective, that a strategy doesn't win a pitch. 
And actually, it's the creative idea that can win a pitch. Jen, coming from a Teneo background, probably look at things in a slightly different way. What would you <laughs> What would you say? Because I've seen so many pitches fail that have been strategically outstanding, but possibly the creator hasn't been quite there. I don't. I don't think it's either. It has either, to just it be has both. To be, it has to be both. Yeah. I think um, too often we get a pitch that's you know, hugely strategic, but then the execution is sort of a basic engagement program. And you think, well, how disappointing. We're sort of already doing that. (laughs) Or you get something which is hugely creative and it's a massive stunt that you're never going to do in a million years. Um, So I I want something that's both really well thought through, but also brings me some joy. You know, like this is going to bring the team joy, us delivering this. And what about chemistry? You know, what about personal chemistry? When you first meet an agency, do you tend to judge it on, I could work with that person? Or is there some sort of X factor you're looking for in your pictures? It's important to do both. And I know, again, it drags it out even longer, doesn't it? The chemistry session, the tissue session. then the. But it's a long-term relationship. I do not want to have to do this pitch every 12 months. I want to be locked in. I want to build a trusting relationship with this agency. So yes, chemistry first. Um, really getting to know as many people in the team as possible. I want to meet everyone. I want to meet everyone from the senior people who are going to be leading the account to the people who are actually going to be doing the work day to day. I want my team to have the opportunity to engage with them because we treat them as an extension of our team. Um, Then I want to see the creative. It shouldn't come ahead of the strategy. Strategic thinking is also super important to us and I want to see every detail of it. But yeah, you want something to really light you up in the room. Are there any no-goes in terms of pitches that you would advise agencies to think about? I can tell if it's off the peg. So if you're doing a lot of pitching and there is a pitch template and I'm one of many, I will know. Wow, the idea of a pitch template. I don't think I've ever seen one of those, but (laughs) Jen? (laughs) Um, There's no no no-goes in the sense of, you know, we're totally open and we want to hear kind of a really diverse perspective. So... Um, and will you follow that process that, that Alex has been talking about as well with tissue meetings, chemistry sessions and so forth? Yeah, we yes, we definitely do all of those things. I think my, my kind of, uh, you know, in terms of chemistry, I'm interested in do our kind of the values of the agency and our values align. I think for, for us um, in terms of pitching, I, I, I want to see people who will help us lift our eyes out of the intensity of the everyday because we're in the sort of super fast paced change. I want people who will say, yeah, we can see all of that. And here's how we can help you think above and beyond it. I think the only one thing that I would say that is unsuccessful when people try and pitch it to us, lots and lots of agencies come to us and try and pitch us access. So they're like, we can, you know, we've got all these relationships or we, you know, we can give you access to X, Y, and Z. They'll come and talk about the relationships and et cetera, that, that they can bring us. And I think I want them to have relationships, but I think also you know, we have relationships. So actually what we do want is thinking and ideas. And I don't want a black book is what I'm trying to say. I don't want people who've got, who are just like, I've got a really strong black book. Sounds and very I can bring 90s it to, to me. Yeah, right. But, <laughs> yeah. You'd be, but you'd be amazed that people still try that. They still try wow. the, here's all the people I know. And it's like, well, I kind of don't want to buy that. I want to buy your thinking and your ideas. I, yeah. I, I agree. And also it's so important for me that my team in-house owns and manages those relationships right, right. to a greater extent. 
I want my team to be engaging with the policy people. I want my team to have great relationships with journalists because that's how not only do you land stories, but you maintain positivity. Absolutely. Um, So yes, if we're stuck, we need a helping hand. But for the most part, I want that in-house. Being an agency for so many years and then going in-house and looking back, like what you would say to your former agency self now that you're in-house, is there any advice that you'd give that? Oh, wow. Gosh, Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. Um... I, the whole reason I went, I, I, you know, I'd been at a, agency for a couple of decades and I went in-house for a specific reason. And that was to understand, you know, I didn't want to just always be the advisor. I wanted to actually understand how to make things happen in an organization and to see decisions through and all of that sort of thing. Um, but I probably could have got more curious about that process while I was still at agency, if you see what I mean. I think actually just almost shadowing a client and going like, how do you, how are you going to navigate this through your business? How, you know, what are you doing? What are you thinking about? Um, I think would have been even more helpful. So if your agency turned around to you now and said, could I come and shadow you and understand how you're going to move this through the business? Would you say yes? One of my key leads at Ogilvy, if they said, hang on, I really want to understand who are the characters that you are influencing you know who are the people that we don't ever see can i come and see you're having these conversations with because you know sure i get you know we give our agencies access but they get all of the access if you see what i mean so let's we've all been very nice and collaborative so far but obviously um (laughs) we're even taking turns speaking very nice (laughs) this is the journalist kicking in again but obviously no agency relationship is perfect and no agency relationship is forever what are the factors that make that relationship break down? And what are the red flags that suggest that something's going wrong in any particular agency relationship? It's sad when this happens, because for me, in the times when it's happened, it's fatigue on both sides and nothing really more complicated than that. There's always goodwill, um, but sometimes you just reach the end of the road with a brief and not being able to cut through and not being able to generate new thinking in a way that you might do if you refresh with a pitch. That just does happen sometimes. I think, I mean, the really obvious point where I can tell there's friction is when people try and justify, you know, what they've sort of brought to me on the basis of how much time they've spent on something. You know, I am someone who is utterly focused on what is the value of this to the business. You know, I, I could, you could spend two hours on this. I'd pay you handsomely if it's going to absolutely transform my business. So you, you know, prefer value-based pricing effectively. Well, I do, but I, I probably shouldn't share this, but that's not how I operate with my agencies. Yeah. I'm still I'm still very much paying based on time spent, but I, I'm, I'm not convinced it's the best model. Ultimately, I think great work sells more great work to clients, you know, deep relationships, focusing on value. The over-servicing conversation can be incredibly challenging for agencies and a lot of, you know, client handlers feel really uncomfortable having that conversation whilst they're also trying to manage a trusted relationship. How does an agency best handle something like that, would you say? I mean, I think it's really hard. So like, don't get me wrong, lots of sympathy and empathy um, for that. I, I, I think honestly, the complexity is that I only ever have a conversation about over-servicing. I never have a conversation about under-servicing. So when they have actually made a, a handsome margin on something because it just hasn't been that time-consuming, we don't have this conversation where it, where they're like, you've got X amount of credit. You know, it's like, it doesn't really work like that. So I, I think that's that's the problem with the over-servicing conversation is that often it's done in a kind of 
only looking through one way. prism mm. and in a linear way. Mm. When I'm working with Ogilvy, we we try and look at it, you know, in the kind of round. Like, yes, we're oversurfacing over here, but is there parts where actually it's all kind of coming out in the mix? The worst situation you can possibly get into is when you are only speaking to your account leads when you've hit an over-servicing problem or there's a budgetary issue. Yeah, it doesn't um, sound fun, does it? It really doesn't. <laughs> and it's not fun for either party. And I've experienced that a couple of times before and I now get round it. People probably think I'm obsessed with budget, but the reason that I want to meet with the agency so frequently on spend is so that I know in flight what's going on. We never get to that point anymore. And we are then able to have the conversation out in the open about underservicing as well as overservicing, and we smooth it all out. It shouldn't be, I don't think, on my agency partner to have to sort of wait and worry about asking me those questions. I have to be in the lead in terms of how we set our budget and what we're spending it on. And I think clients have a responsibility to have an eagle eye on on. Well, it sounds money. like you take that process very seriously, and I think that will be welcomed by many agencies. Very that much there's so. A formal point at which you have that conversation, and that's okay, and we can be transparent on both sides and move us forward. I mean, yeah. that that's it's just that it's just that we've all been there, you know, where we sometimes have to have those conversations, and it's sort of we're well, being a bit British about the fact that we have to talk about money and there'd be some level of outrage that maybe something's taken longer than it should have done, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I have to say, I find it so much easier when there's a project. So there's a specific scope and if it's over-service, you can have a conversation about it or what have you, what have you. I think where it gets really complex is where you have like large retainers. Yeah. And then it's like... Trying to see a, the wood for the trees, Trying effectively. to see the wood for the trees. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'd love to tell you that we could do that, but it, I, I think it would honestly be very hard. so big. Yeah. Um, I, I mean... I'm I, a big I, fan of project spend as well. And I know it's not great for accounts payable at agency side, but it's so good for clients. So we tend to try to do a bit of a mix of both. And the majority of my spend will be in project fee. I guess it's easier to manage a relationship on a project than on a like you say, a big retainer. A few years ago, I remember some agencies telling me, and this is the height of the the mental health crisis that was, was probably pre-pandemic. A lot of agencies were staying, their staff were under a lot of pressure. There was a big mental health problem in PR agencies. And they were saying a lot of that pressure was coming from clients. And I, I suppose I'm not for a moment suggesting that you're put too much pressure on your agencies. But do you think it's a danger sometimes in the client agency relationship that you become so demanding that that pressure is felt from the agency workers? I think what's really important for me is that I have a really good and trusting relationship with the account lead who I then trust to have a level of pastoral care for their team underneath them. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that's really important because, you know, our business is super kind of rapid and that, you know, I, 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 I can't keep an eye on everything. There's no one person that can kind of keep an eye on everything. And so in many ways, our agency has many clients within my team. Um, and I do think, gosh, like, does anyone, you know, really understand how much pressure is is being felt across the board? And I think that is why actually having that kind of key account lead who can play that role, who can feed back is super, super important. I agree. And also we know you're not magicians. I think it's all, all too easy to forget client side that we're probably not the only client you've got as an individual working in agency. Please don't feel like you have to make it look like we are. 
we understand that everybody is here in a business and we want to go home at the end of the day and relax and switch off. So please don't feel like there has to be this illusion that you're always on and I'm your only client. I think that's very refreshing to hear because I, I think a lot of people working inside agencies do feel like that. They they need to present that image that they are always on and always servicing. And actually it's where that sort of commercial edge that a lawyer has <laughs> definitely goes out the window in the in the PR industry, doesn't it? So thinking about new business, I'm sure there's many agencies that would like to be on your pitch list. And just thinking about how does one get onto the pitch list of, of Ogilvy and, and Ovo? I'm just thinking back on the famous comment that Sil Sala said, CMO, former CMO of Diageo, said, if you have to email me, you're not doing a good enough job because I haven't heard about you. So, <laughs> so just thinking about um, Alex, kind of like how you put your pitches together. Is it is it former agencies that you've worked with or how does somebody kind of come on as a newbie, as it were? It's interesting, right? Because, you know, we're sitting in this room together preparing to do our podcast and I'm listening to Jen talking about the agencies that she's got and I'm thinking I'm going to go home and have a little look at those because it's still so much based on anecdote, recommendation and your experience, not just as a client, but as a customer. If I see great work out there, I'm like, oh, who did that? Because I'm always interested to know. Um, obviously, I'm reading about it in PR Week, but where else am I finding this information? It's still quite a closed organic. industry. Yeah, and, so and organic, I'm I going guess. out there to look at it. I'm an interested consumer of media. And if I see great work, I want to know who did it, who's winning the awards. Like That really typically is still how we're doing it today. You can hire an agency to help you get there. But if you see somebody out there whose work really reflects something that you would also like to do, you're likely to give them a call. And have you ever responded well to a new business email? I have. Somebody, and again, this is terrible procurement, going to kill me. Somebody came to me on LinkedIn just after Christmas, having seen a piece of work that we had done and identified something that they thought they could help us with. And it was just the right time and just the right opportunity. Brilliant. So Jen, how do we get onto the Google pitch list? To be honest with you, we have to do quite a lot of research when we are going out to try and find a new agency because we have a major issue with conflicts. Mm. So I'll I'll draw up a sort of shortlist, well, not a shortlist, a long list. Up to half of it will just come off automatically because we're just so conflicted. Um, so we have to do masses of research and really understand like, you know, what are all the options out there? Of course, recommendations. So, you know, if, if we're going out to pitch something, everyone in my team will get an opportunity to put someone forward, um, you know, that they've uh, had some experience with or know of or anything else. So over your brief PR careers, um, what's been the biggest change in the client agency relationship in that time? So over the course of my career, I've worked in lots of different models. So some majority in-house, very little agency support, some minority in-house in tech, very, very small in-house team, very reliant on agency support. I think it's now balancing out. And what I'm seeing more and more is multidisciplinary teams who have got real muscle in-house, but rely on the agencies for the skills and the breadth. So I want to make sure that everyone in my team is skilled up, speaking to journalists, engaging with politicians. They are doing the work, but that our agencies are our ladder to even greater success. And I'm now seeing that more and more. So in-house, you're expected to be multidisciplinary, able to get on the content, 
able to write good copy and your agencies are your buddies, your friends, the people that help you to get to the next step. But we're nowhere near as reliant for like the day-to-day stuff. I want the ideas. I don't want to be wasting money on the stuff that's right down the bottom of the chain. And it's not interesting and exciting for our agency friends to be doing either. Yeah, I mean, I think there are many things that just haven't changed um, about the kind of client agency um, kind of partnership. You know, I think, you know, I've I've been in this career over two decades. It's still very much based on, you know, as we exactly what we started with, trusted relationships, really getting to know your client's business, all all of those sorts of things. Um, I think um, my expectation of what they bring has, has probably increased and changed in terms of that point I made earlier about innovation in the industry you know actually I think that that's a new expectation probably from me you know I don't want them to just be brilliant at the job we're already giving them I want them to tell me what we need to be doing next sounds like there needs to be a head of innovation role (laughs) possibly yeah I really don't want this conversation to end actually but it really has to and that brings us to the end of this show I want to say thank you so much to both um, Jen and Alex it really has been a a really enjoyable conversation Um, very much hope everybody's enjoyed listening to it and we look forward to you joining us next time 